This message by Jeff Lock, entitled "Mind the Gap," was recorded at Wellspring Church on March 3, 2019. The text for this message is Ezra chapter nine. Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ezra chapter nine. We will be reading verses one through five together. Hear now the word of the Lord. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, "The people of Israel and the priests." And the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting, with my garment and my cloak torn, and I fell upon my knees and I spread out my hands and said to the Lord my God, saying. He goes on to pray. So far, the reading of God's word. Maybe seated. We have the privilege of hearing a God's word from Pastor Jeff Lock this morning. Many of you know Jeff and the entire Lock family, including new addition Margot. Right, nine months ago,、uh, Jeff. Had, we had the privilege of partnering with him to plant Grace Alameda on, in Easter of 2015. Is that right? 13? Oh, I was way off. Only two years off.、Uh, Easter of 2013,、uh, and I know、uh, Jeff has been a huge blessing to many in our midst, and so it's our privilege to have him together to bring God's word to us again. So, Jeff, you can go ahead and come up. Good morning. It's always a, a blessing to be with、uh, everyone here at Wellspring.、Uh, lots of familiar faces.、Um, it's just great to be with you.、Um, I am happy to、uh, open God's Word in Ezra nine this morning. Before we do that,、um, just want to share briefly.、Um, you know, Grace Alameda is doing well. We are going to celebrate our sixth year here in just a couple of months.、Um, we're going to celebrate a, a baptism service right before we celebrate our sixth year anniversary. We'll have five baptisms, which is really exciting and. Praise God for that.、Um, we're also leading a Malawi team this summer. I know、uh, Pastor Sam and a couple of elders are in are in、uh, Africa now.、Um, we're we're it's our turn to go to Malawi this summer,、um, and so、uh, my son Jonas and I, along with、uh, six other people from our church, will be going to Malawi.、Um, so we're excited for that as well, and and covet your prayers as we go in July.、Um, but this morning we're going to be looking as as、uh, Chad read in Ezra chapter nine. Before we do that, let me pray for us and ask for God's help. Let's pray together. Father, we、uh, thank you that you call us、um, through your Word、uh, to hear from you and to submit ourselves to you.、Uh, Lord, this is your Word and not ours, and、uh, we want to、uh, hear from you this morning and ask that you would open our ears by your Holy Spirit and our hearts to. Uh, learn to to submit your, ourselves to you and to do what your word says, God.、Uh, Lord, as we learn from Ezra's confession of sin, may we in turn learn to confess our own sin to you in humility and brokenness, and, and in full assurance that we will be forgiven、um, by you because of the great work of your Son Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. How many people here have ever been to London before? Raise your hand if you've been to London. Okay, so if, you, if you've been to London, then you know that the London Underground, the, the subway train system in London, um, has this voice over the loudspeaker that tells you constantly, as soon as a train pulls into the station, mind the gap. You, ever, you know, mind the gap. You ever, have you ever heard of mind the gap, even if you haven't been to London? It's a little, okay, maybe not so much. Okay, well, it's a thing, I promise. And um, in, in London, in 2015, they, they changed some of the trains. And in changing the trains in, in the London Underground, there were a few stations in which there was a little bit more of a gap than there had been previously. And in 2015, the increase, the, the, the number of people that fell into the gap, who did not in fact mind the gap, increased by threefold. Over 300 people in the London Underground fell between the, the station platform and the trains in 2015. Even though people who've lived in London their whole lives and heard every time they go into the underground station, they hear, mind the gap, over the loudspeaker, the people who fell into the gap did not mind the gap. They didn't pay attention to the problem that lay in front of them. They still fell into the gap, even though they heard the call to mind the gap. In our passage this morning, Ezra chapter 9, Ezra has, has just come on the scene in ancient Israel. Israel had been exiled out of their homeland and, and brought back to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The temple has been rebuilt at this point in Israel's history, and Ezra has come from Babylon to Jerusalem to teach God's people what God's word says. And in the course of, of telling God's people what, what the word, what God's law tells them, they, they realize, God's people realize, and what you heard at the beginning of this, this passage is, is they come to Ezra and they tell him, Ezra, there's a lot of sin going on. I don't think we realized that we were not supposed to be intermarrying with the peoples of this land. And, and it wasn't a racial thing for ancient Israel, so, so don't let yourself think that. The reason that God called his people in Israel not to intermarry with the peoples around them wasn't because he was trying to keep an ethnic purity among his people. It's because God's people were called by him to himself to worship him and him alone. And the intermarriages that were taking place among the people of God in Israel at this time were polluting not the the bloodline, but polluting the worship of God's people. And so the leaders of Israel come in to uh, Ezra, and, and, and Ezra is kind of the lead priest at this time, and they tell Ezra, Ezra, there's been intermarriage. The, 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 the worship of God's people has been polluted. We didn't know until you came and brought the word to us, but now that you have, we, we see this sin. And, and you see Ezra responds in what seems to us maybe an extreme manner. I heard that he, he tore his clothes, not just his his, his outer garment, but, but, but what he was wearing underneath as well. He, he te- kind of tears his clothes, te- pulls out you know, hair from his beard, which if you have a beard is extremely painful, puts ashes on his head and lays himself prostrate before God all day long. Ezra, unlike the people in the London underground, Ezra minded the gap. See, there is a tremendous gap between what God's word calls us to do 
and what you and I actually do. There's a huge gap between God's word and his standard for us and the way that we live our lives day in and day out. Ezra minded the gap. And what seems extreme to us with the, the show, the open show of remorse for this sin might actually be just a dose of sanity for those of us that don't pay quite the the amount of attention that we maybe ought to, to what God's word says and all the ways in which we fall short. The, The book of Ezra is all about the rebuilding of the temple and the renewal of worship in God's people, among God's people in Jerusalem. And it's interesting because because Ezra ends in chapter 9 and chapter 10 with this confession of sin, which we'll, we'll read here in Ezra 9, and then the repentance that follows in chapter 10. Why would a book about the, the rebuilding of the temple of God, the place where God met with and dwelt with his people, why would Ezra end on a note of confession and repentance? Why would a book about worship end in confession and repentance? It's because confession of our sin and repentance before God is essential to worship. If you do not confess your sin to God, you are not a worshiper. If you do not repent of your sin before God, you're not a worshiper. Confession and repentance are essential, and the way that we confess our sin to God is we acknowledge what God's word says and that there is a tremendous gap between what the word says and what we actually do. And confessing that to God is confession of sin. And that's what we're going to look at together this morning. Now, maybe you read Ezra's show of remorse and you think maybe he's just being extreme. Ezra is maybe a little bit of a fundamentalist here. He's a little bit of an extremist in the way that he worships. Like, I like Jesus, but I'm not sure that I'm ready to pull out my beard. I mean, my beard, again, it's painful. It's, 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 it, doesn't, it doesn't feel good. Doesn't, doesn't, isn't Ezra maybe overdoing it a little bit to like lay prostrate on his face all day until the evening sacrifices? When was the last time you experienced that level of remorse, that level of sadness and sorrow when you recognized that you had sinned against the God who not only created you, but who redeemed you, who saved you by the sacrifice of his only son. We might look at Ezra and think he's extreme, but I think Ezra helps us to to get a little dose of reality. Ezra minds the gap. Maybe you and I don't. Maybe we, we don't pay attention to the gap between what God's word says and the way we live. We see, first of all, that Ezra is broken by his sin. Ezra is broken by his sin. The first thing that happens in this story doesn't happen in this story. The first thing that happens in this story is God's word breaks in to the life of Israel, to the life of Ezra. Ezra, in in, in chapter 7, verse 10, The book of Ezra says this, that Ezra had set his heart, his whole life was devoted to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules to Israel. Ezra's whole life purpose, if he had a mission statement for his life, it would be what it says in Ezra 7.10. He set his heart to study God's law, to do it and to teach it to to the people of Israel. 
And that's what Ezra was all about. He was all about teaching God's word. So Ezra arrives and the word goes forward because that's what he's about in his life. And that word of God breaking in, heaven breaking down into earth, produces fruit among God's people. The leaders of Israel realize that that this intermarriage thing that's been going on for a little while is sin against God. And they come and and they tell Ezra of this sin. It it produces fruit, even if the fruit in this particular case is a little bit bitter to the taste. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, says this. It says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word broke in to the life of the people of Israel and discerned the thoughts and intentions of their hearts, revealed their sin, put it on display, and Ezra responds in repentance, in confession. The word breaks into our lives. And reveals the gap between what the word says, what God's standard is, and what we actually do, how we actually live. The word breaks in and brings reality. The word breaks into our lives and brings sanity. The word breaks in and brings truth. So first we see that the word breaks in and it declares Israel's sin. It declares Israel's sin. It shows all the people of Israel, the ways in which they've sinned. It shows the gap between our, our actions and God's standard, God's word. And, and Ezra doesn't put responsibility on anyone else. He, he hadn't actually married a foreign wife. He hadn't, he hadn't broken God's law in this particular case, but he doesn't shirk responsibility. When God's word breaks into our lives, do we shirk responsibility or do we accept the fact that it's my fault, that my life doesn't measure up to God's word? God's word reveals our sin. And and when God's word reveals our sin, we we have to take responsibility for it. Imagine a a husband who, who cheats on his wife. He, he goes, he's found all, all throughout town going around with other women. And, and then at a certain point in time, he, he decides he's going to stop and, and he comes home and he just expects everything to be normal. He says, oh, honey, I've stopped now. How, how would that go over with the wife who's been cheated on? Well, it takes building back that trust. It takes admitting you were wrong. It takes, first of all, confessing. Honey, I did this with all these other women. As painful and as harmful as that might feel to her, if he's going to repair the relationship, he has to first take ownership of what he's done wrong. He has to change his life and seek forgiveness. And in order to seek forgiveness, he has to say, I did this. See, our God is not an abused spouse. Our God does not welcome us home when we don't accept our responsibility for our sin. He doesn't say, it's okay, we'll just sweep that under the rug. Confession of sin is first and foremost required if we're going 
to worship. God is our king and he calls us to submission. He wants change for us. He expects change for us. By his grace, he gives us the change that he he requires of us. And that's because he loves us. It's because he loves us and, and wants us to be conformed to his image. So God's word breaks in to Israel. It declares their sin. And as a result, we see Ezra broken and humbled. Broken and humbled in light of this sin. Ezra knows. He he knows that God's people have sinned. He knows that God is not an abused spouse, but that he is the king and he needs to go to God in repentance, in humility, begging for forgiveness for himself and his people. He minds the gap. He acknowledges that there is this huge distance between what God's standard is and the way they've been living. And that's why he does all that he does in verses 3 to 5. Let me read that again for us. Ezra says, As soon as I heard this, I tore my garments and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and my beard and sat appalled, sat aghast, at how awful this sin was. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. We see in that, a willingness to abase himself, to humble himself before God in brokenness over what he's done wrong. What about you? When you see your sin truly, God's word reveals your heart. Do you feel sorrow? Do you feel remorse for that? Do you acknowledge that there is something deeply wrong in you? Do you own that? Or do you excuse it? Do you let yourself be broken by your sin? Or do you try and ignore it? Confession is acknowledging the gap between what God's word calls us to and what we actually do. Humility is sees our sin for what it is and and, and brings ourselves down low before God. Humility is willing to see it. Pride ignores sin. Humility remembers what we've done wrong. Pride forgets. Humility asks for forgiveness. Pride makes excuses. Where are you today? When was the last time you confessed your sin in a real and humble way before the Lord? I think a lot of times the reason that that we don't experience the kind of remorse that Ezra did is not because that's not what's required. It's because we tend to ideify God. We make God into an abstract principle somewhere floating up there 
not real, not personal, not relational. And if God is an idea, then, then it's very easy for me to write off what he requires of me. Because, especially in our day of, of fake news, ideas submit to us. Right? If, if I don't like an idea, then I can put it off my news feed. If I do like an idea, even if it contradicts, contradicts facts and reality, I might promote it on my news feed. So often for us, our ideas submit to us rather than we submitting to our ideas. But God still isn't even an idea. God is a person. God is a creator. God is holy and awesome and deserving of all praise. It's easy for us to make God into an idea and then deal with him on our terms. But that's not what Ezra does in this passage. That's not the truth. That's not reality. That's why what Ezra does in this passage makes sense. It's because God is not an abstract idea to him. God is a real, true person who calls him out of himself. I want to look with you at at Ezra's prayer. I didn't didn't read it before because we're going to read it in detail together. And I want to look not only at what Ezra does before he confesses his sin, but, but now at the way in which he confesses to God. Let's look at his prayer together, starting in verses 6 and 7 of Ezra 9. Ezra says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hands of the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as it is today. Ezra opens this this prayer acknowledging the total otherness of God. God is not like us. We are not like God. God is totally other. He is divine, holy, awesome, all-powerful, all-knowing. He is the only wise God. And Ezra begins his prayer by acknowledging, I do not deserve, I blush to stand before you in my shame, oh my God. He sees the otherness of God and especially the holiness of God. He sees the ways in which God is holy and he and his people are not. He sees the ways in which he needs to acknowledge the weight of his sin before a holy God who requires perfection from his people. He sees the holiness of God. He sees the otherness of God. And in the midst of that, he sees the seriousness of his sin. He's ashamed of what he's done. Even though he is not personally responsible for it, he's ashamed of what his people have done. That sin brings shame before the God who made us. And not only that, there is that collective element to sin. And I don't think we see that very much in our culture. Our culture is is inundated with individualism. And, And I'll only take responsible for the things that I specifically have done. But Ezra doesn't even shirk responsibility for sins that others have committed. Now, I don't think you should go confessing sins of people that that you don't know. 
that aren't a part of your life or your community. But if someone in Wellspring Church to whom you are covenantally committed and connected lives a life of licentiousness, greed, lust, and they are unrepentant in their sin and their sin comes back on your church, their sin comes back on you before God. Because God doesn't just see you, the individual. He sees a whole people. It is good and right to confess not only your personal sin, but the sin of the people to whom you're connected. Sin is not only individual. It is also collective. Ezra sees that and acknowledges that before the Father. Go on with me in, in verses 8 and 9. Ezra says, But now for a brief moment... Favor, same word in Hebrew as grace, has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant, to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. You see the ways in which which Ezra acknowledges that grace is not cheap. That he can't assume, presume upon the grace of God, but that he, he throws himself again on God's mercy, acknowledging that the only reason he's in Jerusalem is that God showed grace to him and his people. The only reason that they weren't already in Jerusalem, but had to be brought back out of exile is because before exile, they had sinned against God and broken covenant with God. And so God had allowed them to be exiled. And yet... Even though Israel was faithless over and over again, God remained faithful. By his grace, not through anything they deserved, he brought Israel back to Jerusalem. Let them rebuild the temple. And and Ezra sees the, 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 the glory of God's grace and he's afraid now. Because they've taken that grace and thrown it in the dirt. He sees the ways in which there are consequences when we do that with God's grace, when we disobey God's will. There are consequences for us. For Israel, they were exiled. For us, it could be broken relationships. It could be bitterness that that takes root deep in our hearts, that, that, that traps us and makes us slaves. It could be materialism that stops us seeing God for who he is or us for who we are. There are real true consequences for our disobedience. Ezra sees that and he prays that to the Lord. He continues on in in verses 10 through 12. He prays, and now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying the land that you are entering. He's quoting Deuteronomy now. The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. 
Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons. Neither take their daughters for your sons and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. We talked already about what what God intended for his people. Israel, the land of Israel, was to be a pure place where the worship of God and God alone took place. That's why intermarriage was forbidden to Israel. But, But what I find really compelling about this prayer is that Ezra isn't just making it up as he goes, but he prays God's word back to him. Ezra prays the word. He knows the word. He knows it deeply. And he prays that word back to God. He acknowledges the sin and the guilt that the word calls them, accuses them of. He acknowledges that guilt is not a subjective thing. Sin is not a subjective thing. It's not about the way I feel. If I feel guilty, then I'll repent. No, guilt is objective. Sin is objective. It's not determined by us. It's determined by God, the God who made us and redeemed us in Christ. And so God gives us his word that speaks objectively of our sin and guilt before him. And Ezra prays that word back to God, acknowledging his sin and his people's sin. Verses 13 to 15 to close. He says, After all this has come upon us, For our evil deeds and our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this. Shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? He says, in the past, our father sinned. Now, are we going to do it again? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there would be no remnant nor any to escape? Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, you are just. For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For none can stand before you because of this. We see, second of all, in this prayer that that Ezra is humbled in prayer. Everything about this prayer speaks to the humility of Ezra before God and his word. That everything in this prayer goes back to all the ways in, in which his people have sinned and Ezra needs to fall down before the God of Israel. And, and Ezra prays in, in verse 15, especially of the justice and mercy of God. In in verse 15, he says, You are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. He speaks of the justice of God, that God does not allow sin to go unpunished. He doesn't. That's not the kind of God he is. But he's also a merciful God. Because, as he says in verse 15, there is left to us a remnant today. There is justice in God and mercy in God all at the same time. And Ezra is interceding on behalf of his people as their priest, asking God to let his mercy win out over his justice against Israel. God is just just and merciful. And I think that's something that, that 
we in the church need to recognize and, and hold tight to. Because there can be a tendency for us as Christians to emphasize one of those things over another. Some will emphasize God's justice, the right way that things ought to be done. Some will emphasize God's mercy, his compassion, his care. In the Christian world, conservatives tend to to glorify God's justice. And liberals tend to glorify God's mercy and point to God's mercy. But Ezra in his prayer is neither conservative nor liberal. Ezra in his prayer holds both of these two things in tension. God is simultaneously just and merciful. He is justice and mercy. And it's a helpful reminder that God is not like us. We tend to only be able to have one idea in our head at a time. God is not like us. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. God is not a conservative Baptist. He's not a mainline Methodist. God is God. He doesn't get on our team. He invites us onto his. And the right way to approach him is first and foremost acknowledging the gap between what his word calls us to and the way we actually live. We come to him and humble ourselves before him acknowledging that we do not deserve his mercy, but crying out for it all the same. Ezra humbles himself before God, confesses his sin and the sin of his people. And he doesn't just confess a general sin, God, please forgive me for everything I've done wrong. He gets specific with, with text, with quotations from the word, and counts the ways he sinned against God counts the ways the people of God have sinned against him. How do you confess? Like when you go to God in prayer this evening or wake up tomorrow morning in prayer, when you pray over a meal and ask God's forgiveness, are you specific? Do you care to enumerate the ways that you've broken God's law? Or are you vague in general? And, and assume God will just sort of sweep it under the rug? Do you presume upon the grace of God? Or are you honest with yourself? Are you honest about the ways that you've offended and hurt others? Are you humble in prayer like Ezra was? When was the last time you confessed in that way? Maybe it was a mountaintop experience in a retreat. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it's been a little while. Maybe you never really have. The incredible thing about the justice of God is that he doesn't let anything slip by. And so all of us have to come in fear and trembling before him, admitting all the ways we've sinned. But the incredible thing about God at the same time is that God is not only just, but merciful. And he welcomes us to him. He welcomes us to himself and invites us to confess our sin. There was an old Puritan saying that said that the same sun that melts the ice at the same time hardens the clay. 
the same sun, the same word of God that melts some hearts will harden others. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Ezra hears the fruit that the word has produced among the people of God and allows his heart to be melted. He allows the word to melt his heart. He's broken by his sin. He humbly comes to God in prayer. And then he seeks the life that's in that word. He seeks the life that's in that word. What about us? Do we seek the life that is the word? Because Ezra only saw in part that you and I, we get to see what the word truly is. Ezra in the Old Testament came to Israel teaching God's word, teaching Israel about who God was and what he had told them in his word revealed. But Christ Jesus is such a better Ezra, isn't it? Because Jesus Christ didn't just come teaching the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word of God. The word become flesh dwelling among us. Christ Jesus did teach God's word, but he embodied God's word. He was the word walking among us, revealing God in everything he said and everything he did. For Ezra, the word could bring condemnation. He was uncertain about how God would respond to his pleas for his mercy. But in Christ Jesus, we have no uncertainty. There is nothing to hold us back from confessing our sins fully and and, and ultimately, honestly, humbly before God because we know how he'll respond when we do. We know what God will do with our sin because we know who the word is. Ezra was afraid that God might condemn Israel. That this remnant was precarious in Jerusalem. But, but you and I know that we have no fear of condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Christ Jesus was condemned in our place so that you and I now no longer need to fear. Christ Jesus was made a slave, brought in chains to the cross, and hung there so that He could set us free. It doesn't matter how dark or deep or specific your sin is. He has paid the price. And He offers you freedom from it. Ezra, in our passage, tore his clothes and pulled hairs from his beard. You know, there's never a time in the Gospels when Jesus did that. No, Jesus was in chains when that happened to him, when the soldiers tore his clothes from him. And plucked his beard for fun. It wasn't priests that sat appalled when they saw the cross of Christ. When they saw the word of God. God's grace and truth. His love and mercy hanging on a cross. Dying for us. The priests didn't sit appalled. The priests were the one that put him on the cross. It was a centurion. A pagan. Standing there that day saying, surely this man was a son of God. 
It was pagans that sat appalled, not priests. No, Christ Jesus is a better priest than Ezra ever was or could have been. Because he is a great high priest who identifies with us. Identifies with us in our weakness. He, Jesus Christ, became sin for us. The word says that that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that you and I and him could become the righteousness of God. We don't have to be afraid of the sin we've committed because Christ Jesus became our sin before God and paid the penalty that our sins deserved. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's by his wounds we've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is a better high priest who offers a better sacrifice. And when we see Christ for who he truly is, we see that his grace is not cheap. It doesn't come quick or easy. Grace is not something that you or I can assume something to stand in awe of, to be amazed by. That makes me wonder. It should make all of us wonder. How could we go back to sin when we have Christ Jesus? When we have so great a Savior, so great a high priest who became our sin and died on the cross to free us from that sin, why would we go back? Why would we go back to it? It's like Peter says in in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. He tells us that we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ezra The priest prayed the mercy of God, prayed the justice of God. But Christ Jesus, our great high priest, he embodied the justice and mercy of God. Psalm 85 verses 10 and 11 say, Steadfast love and faithfulness meets. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. At the cross, the righteousness of God, God's perfect justice came down on Christ's head. And yet, all the while Jesus upheld the justice of God, he opened his arms wide, outstretched on the cross, inviting all of us to receive his mercy, full and free for any who would come by faith. We have life in the Word, who is the Son, Jesus Christ. And when Christ Jesus first came, the first words of his earthly ministry came in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. Repent. Turn from your sin and believe the gospel. Repentance begins with confession. And we have to acknowledge the gap between what God's word calls us to and the way we really live. 
before we can walk in true repentance. We have to confess our sins honestly and humbly before God. And so I ask you this morning, do you see yourself for who you really are? Do you have a real, true picture of yourself? Do you believe what the word says about your sin? Do you believe what God says about it? Or are you distracted? Distracted by the busyness, the the hustle and bustle of our time and place. And do those distractions keep you from seeing yourself and seeing God truly, seeing the gap and confessing your sin? Are you so busy that you unwittingly worship false gods? Do you unwittingly, unknowingly worship your children, your family? Do you worship your work, your career? Do you worship money and material things? Do you worship comfort or success? Those veils will bless you. Especially in our time and place, those are the gods of American culture. And you will be blessed just a little bit, just enough to keep coming back. Do you see false worship for what it is? Or do you let the word reveal who you are and where you are? Ezra is about the renewal of worship among the people of God. And the renewal of our worship begins with confession of our sin and repentance, turning back to God in obedience. I want to encourage us today to take an honest, real look at ourselves before God, before His Word. And I want to invite you in Christ to let yourselves be broken because of your sin. To go humbly to the Lord God in prayer and to receive the life that comes to us in and through His Word. His Word who is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise You for Your love for us. That You don't deal with us according to our sins as we deserve. But God, You lavish Your grace upon us in Christ. Father, thank you. I confess I am a great sinner before you. And I have no no standing with you apart from Christ. Forgive me my sin, Lord. Forgive us all, we pray. And help us all not simply to be content with that prayer, but to get specific and real and honest and humble with you. That we might confess our sin truly and honestly and receive the freedom and forgiveness that comes in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.